Hello, I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Thank you for joining me for this selected reading. This original blog and all my blogs can be found on the website of the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. This audio blog is entitled, What Do You Need? In the early 60s, our three-generational family lived in a tight-knit African-American community in North Philly. Van Pelt Street, just off of Diamond Street, was a long city block of homes owned by African-Americans who knew each other, who were neighborly, and who liked each other. Both sides of the street consisted of row houses, meaning all the houses connected together. This version of architecture in New York City is called brownstone, but since Philadelphia houses were made of brick, they were called row homes. The entrance to the homes were marble stairs with stoops just outside of each door. Neighbors would sit on their stoops like country folks sit on front porches. Sitting on the stoop was a daily activity for almost every household. As children, my brother and I, once we knew not to run into the street, were free to wander up and down the street playing and visiting with neighbors on their stoops. Visiting neighbors, while never being out of our parents' or grandparents' watchful eye, gave us a sense of independence and community. My parents knew that the farther from home we wandered, the more loving eyes watched over us, kept us safe. One of our favorite neighbors was Mr. Joe. Mr. Joe had salt and pepper closely cut hair and smelled like motor oil. His hands were large and rough and his voice was warm and round. I can't remember a time Mr. Joe did not smile when he saw me. Mr. Joe wore blue coveralls and had a pocket full of candy. Mr. Joe would come home from work, go inside and then short order return to sit on his stoop. When my brother and I saw Mr. Joe on his stoop, we would go for a visit. Mr. Joe never disappointed. He was always glad for our visits and always offered us candy. If my brother was offered a piece of candy while I was not with him, he would say to Mr. Joe, can I have one for my sister? And Mr. Joe would say, of course. Then he would reach back into his pocket and give my brother a second piece of candy. Brent would run home and give me my piece of candy. If I was visiting Mr. Joe without Brent and Mr. Joe gave me a piece of candy, I would simply say thank you to Mr. Joe, then run home and give my brother my piece of candy. Brent seeing I had only one piece would say, why didn't you ask for one for me? I was too shy to ask, too shy to say anything other than thank you, even to beloved neighbor, Mr. Joe. As a child, I was unable to voice what I needed. Sometimes saying what you need seems intimidating and scary. By the way, Brent never took my one piece of candy for himself. Years later, I was in a conversation with my dean. The dean had just taken the administrative post a few months before and had scheduled conversations with each faculty person. The conversations were to get acquainted and to talk about curriculum participation. At my appointment, the dean and I were having a congenial conversation. Then his last question stumped me. The dean asked me, what do you need? The question halted me. My hesitation was as much due to the way he asked the question as the question itself. The dean asked the question as if he intended to act upon my answer. 
Feeling the sincerity of the question gave me more, gave it more gravity. In the moment, I had no real answer to the question. This was not like the moment with Mr. Joe when I was too shy to say what I needed. By the time I sat with the Dean, I was a well-voiced scholar. The question posed by the Dean revealed that I had not done sufficient reflection or imagination work to rise to the level of his inquiry. Indeed, what do I need to teach well, to teach better, or to teach differently? The question was not a question of supplies. The Dean was not asking if I needed ink pens or a new desk chair. And he was not asking about such thing as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, nor was he making an inquiry about the existential nature of my being. The Dean was asking me, what do you need in order to improve your teaching? What do you need to further immerse yourself in your own pedagogical project? What support do you need to engage the issues of your own work? What can our intellectual community do to support your teaching agendas, practices, habits, and experiments? In this moment, I realized I had been so busy doing my project, I had taken little time to imaginatively reflect upon the doing of my project. I did not know what I needed, and in that moment, I could not say what I needed. Knowing what you need takes meditation, contemplation, planning, inquiry, investigation, consideration, creativity, and maybe conversations with friends that may involve drinking brown liquor, eating fatty foods, and dancing. At the risk of stating the obvious, change is here to stay. In this moment, to engage the question, what do you need, requires a more than cursory understanding of the context of our work in habits. The changes wrought in higher education in general, in our classrooms specifically, are many and large. This season of COVID-19 quarantine, the Black Lives Matter movement, the extraordinary dilemma of government leadership, the shifting weather patterns, the US and global economic volatility, and global transformations are here to stay and have critical bearing upon our teaching lives. Even the notion of change being here to stay does not mean we are now static in any way. The changes themselves are still changing. This dynamism, shifting, twisting, and uncertainty is the new normal. We are surrounded personally, corporately, nationally by grief, loss, and uncertainty. Our classrooms, our students, our very lives of teaching have changed and will continue to change. We cannot be too shy or voiceless in engaging the question of need, and we cannot be unprepared or lacking critical reflection and imagination to answer this question with depth, guts, and heart. Brothers and sisters, what do you need in order to teach right now? It took me a couple months, but I did answer my dean's inquiry about my needs. The answer I gave him was thoughtful, generative, and suggested my need for a new trajectory in my teaching project. Strengthening the ecology of our schools likely means providing one another with what we need. Thank you. And a special thanks to Dr. Paul Myrie. Paul is Senior Associate Director of the Wabash Center, composer of the music which frames this audio blog and the sound engineer. Thanks to Rachel Mills, my audio blog producer. The Wabash Center is wholly funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. This is Nancy Lynn Westfield, and I'm just saying. <laughs>